Episode number 105, Teju the Storyteller. Walk in the talk with street storytelling. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to the Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. I am Brother Wolf, and I am so glad that you have made it here today because I am in storytelling heaven. Just pulling your leg here. I am at the Folk Festival for the Smithsonian. And I am, in fact, at the African American Folk Life Festival for the Smithsonian this, this next two weeks. I don't normally give a date and a time for my show, but... But I'm just so thrilled to be in this heaven, surrounded by all these amazing storytellers. And last night, I was watching one of these tellers talk about his work, and I was like, oh, that's that's the one. i, I got to get this guy on the show. This man, he has learned storytelling coming from the streets. He has learned storytelling in, in the bars and in the pool halls. He has learned storytelling in in the, the bitter reality of, of, of putting your money down to, to get the right to tell the story. And if you don't tell it good enough, you lose that money. He he works inside the the prisons. He works on the streets. He he is um he's the old fashioned storyteller, the storyteller who belongs to the place he is standing. Teju, thank you so much for coming on my show. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me be on the show. That's good. And a little bit more about him. Um, Teju Mala Olaboni accompanies his stories with the African drum or other African instruments. Known as Teju, Olaboni learned many of his stories from his parents, grandparents, and during his travels through Africa and the United States. He has taught at the University of Wisconsin and holds a degree in sculpture. Teju, do you have a story to share with us tonight? Absolutely. I got a million of them, but I'll give you a 30-second story, all right? It goes like this. It says, Storyteller? Yes, my son. Is it true that the lion is king of the forest? Ah, yes, my son. That is very, very true. Huh? Well, if that's true, why is it that each time when we hear stories of the hunter going into the forest, the hunter always wins? Hmm. It will be that way, my son, until the lion starts telling stories. Do all of your stories have a moral? Oh, yes. Every story that's ever been told has a moral. But all of mine certainly do. And, of course, that one is if you don't tell your own story, well, those who tell stories about you will tell stories for their benefit, for their uplift, you know, for their growth, for their aggrandizement. So you have to tell your own story. My uncle told me it's a poor dog that can't wag his own tail. So you have to be able to wag your T-A-L-E because you have to be able to tell the people the story about you in such a way that they become interested in the story. Maybe not in you, but interested in the story, find themselves in the story. And if they can find themselves in the story, then they will benefit from hearing the story. If they can't find themselves in the story, then they're not going to benefit from hearing the story. The thing being this. That everybody hears that story that I just told, the 30-second story, differently. That, well, I better start talking and explaining myself, because what other people say about me is not quite correct. I'm sure if the lion told the story, he would talk about all the hunters he ate. But then we only hear the hunter's side. We don't hear the lion's side of the story. And that's true, like, in any society. There's always people who don't get a chance to really tell what their story is, which is in many times totally different than what the society's story is about them. Okay, so that's the reason for that story. And that's maybe the moral or, you know, like that. Is it that those people have the stories? They're just not told to the rest of society. No, they actually believe the story that they're telling, because if you tell a lie that's big enough and if you tell that lie long enough, Everybody will begin to believe it because it's simply repeated. 
And that's what's being told. So if you don't tell your own story, then I'll see you. I'll say, hey, uh, I know about him. I've heard about people like him, right? Might not know anything about you, right? So we make our judgments based on what we've heard, okay? And we have no choice but to make our judgments based on what we've heard because we certainly haven't seen everything. But it becomes even more important than for a person or a group of people to tell their story, okay? Otherwise, the lion, the hunter always wins, you know? You told the story and everyone... Everyone interprets it for themselves, is what you said. Mm-hmm. But then you just explained it to us mm-hmm. as your interpretation. Uh, no. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just curious. Do you think that stories should be interpreted? Do you think people should be allowed to come to their own interpretation, or or should they be led down the garden path, or should they be told the interpretation? They should be certainly led from the perspective. See, I interpreted the story right, but I only interpreted the story for me. So I did that as an example of what everybody should do for them. See, in other words, like, okay, I see the world a certain way. So as seeing the world a certain way, then I'm going to interpret the story a certain way. And because I interpret the story a certain way, that doesn't mean that that's the way the story is. It's the way I interpret it. So here you are, Brother Wolf. You should interpret it from Brother Wolf's perspective. A five-year-old should interpret it from a five-year-old's perspective. You know, octogenarian should interpret it from an octogenarian's perspective. A Latino, a European, an African, an Asian, a Native American should interpret it purely from their perspective. Okay? But I believe it's my duty to interpret it from the perspective of an African born in America. Let's talk about street storytelling. Okay. Because that's what I find absolutely fascinating is this idea of street storytelling. Because I, I I've always been my whole life a little intimidated by this art form on the idea of doing it just on the street, one-on-one or two-on-two or one-on-four or one-on-twenty, you know. When, when did you first start telling on the street? Um, actually, when I was 11 years old, we came out of the country, a country setting, a semi-rural setting, and moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And when I heard the people in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when I was a little kid on the streets, I heard them doing it. And I always wanted to be there, right? So probably by the time I was maybe... 13, I think. I, I know I probably bumped adolescence. It's hard for me to really remember right now. But I remember sometimes I could get even the old guys to listen as I was talking. Now, I had no experience in life. And I was sitting there talking about experience in life like I'd hear those guys. And then sometimes they'd say, boy, sit down and shut up. You, you, know, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. Because at that time, one of the real famous uh, singers who had just, you know, began to move was Nancy Wilson. All right. And they were talking about, yeah, well, Nancy, blah, blah, blah. so I want to, yeah, well, she Nancy. They said, boy, you don't know anything about Nancy Wilson. Right. You know, <laughs> so uh, I had to. OK, but like but I could repeat the stories that they heard. Right. So therefore, I got that. And my father was a storyteller, but he was a rural storyteller. But his rural storytelling had the same kind of flavor as the street storytelling because it's the old African tradition in America or the African-American tradition, okay? So at any rate, what happened was when I was like, again, that little teenager, I wanted to be there. So I began to learn the stories and then tell the stories to my friends. And when I hit about 16 years old, I learned, I could. St- I started, well, actually about 15, I started telling in the streets with the street tellers, okay? But what I would do to tell them as a street teller was say, let me tell you what an old man told me. And then when I would come and say, well, let me tell you what an old man told me, it wouldn't be like I'm trying to tell you my experience. So then I began to make up the voices of the old men and stuff like that. That's when the grown-ups started listening, okay? And again, sometimes you would put money down, okay? And whoever told the best story picked up the money. Now, if there's like about eight or nine guys around, right? Everybody puts the money in, right? Okay? If nobody can agree on who's the best, then they all get their money back. But, like, usually there's a real majority on who did the best. And sometimes it'll be the same story told 
everybody has to tell the same story. Mm. Many times it was a poem. Who could do the best rendition of the poem called Shine? Who could do the best rendition of the poem called Signifying Monkey? Who could do the best rendition of the poem called Stagger Lee? Who was best, okay? But now these poems are street poems and everybody had some real foul language in it, you know? And I remember one time walking through my house as a very, very young teenager and I began to say... Deep down in the jungle where the tall grass grows lives a signifying monkey. And my mother, pop, 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 hit me on. Boy, shut up. Don't you be bringing that in my house. Because, like, it's so dirty. I wonder, how did she know this? Well, that poem is really old and it's all over the place. But those are the those were the poems that the street tellers would stand and, like, okay, you tell it. Now, let me tell you my version of it, you know. You know, there's a little pimp monkey you could tell by his clothes, you know. No, no, let me tell you my version of it. He woke up one morning, he was feeling bored, you know. Oh, let me tell you my version of it. Like, he was watching the lion, and the lion was snowing, and he said, man, this is boring, you know. So everybody would be going around telling their version of it. And that who had the best one was the one that um, would get the money. Then there was, like, the whole brag, you know. You were like, you know, while sitting here shucking and jiving with you, let me tell you about a lady that I once knew. And then it starts off like that. So they would start off with even sometimes the same line while sitting here shucking and jiving with you. Then they would start telling about, let me tell you about a day when the sky was blue. And then every, but you know, there was like kind of like a starting point. And sometimes they would tell exactly the same story in different styles. So whoever was best would pick up the money, you know. So you would call this hood storytelling? Uh, actually, it was called street telling. And it was more, I, we didn't really call it the hood back then. This is the 50s, you know, <laughs> 1950s. I'm an old dude. Uh, but these are 1950s, and nobody, we didn't call it, you know, the hood, or we didn't really call it street talk. Actually, we called it rapping. You know, we called it at that time, we called it rapping. Hey, man, I'm going to sit in, who's going to be rapping this time? You know, we called it rapping. Um, and whoever could just talk the best stuff is called the best rapper. Then there was a whole brag thing. Who could who could give the best brag, you know? My name is, you know, P.D. Wheatstraw. I'm the devil's son-in-law. Went to hell carrying a bucket of ice water. I got so rich, I married the devil's daughter. That's the one that, like, I put together to be in there, you know. I went to hell carrying a bucket of ice water, and I got so rich, I married the devil's daughter. That's why they call me P.D. Wheatstraw, because I am the devil's son-in-law. You know, stuff like that. So, you know, everybody had a little thing, you know. And uh, so honing that and, like, going up like that, it really put me in a position where, like, I really still tell in the streets and stuff like that, you know, still, I, it doesn't make any difference how big or how small the audience is. Because to me, if you aren't good, if it ain't cool, then man, shut up and sit down. You know, we don't want to hear no more of that guy. But next, who's next, man? Oh, that guy, that's tired, man. Get, you know, like we say whack now, but back then it was called tired. Oh, man, that's tired, you know. Next, who's next? You know, so that's how we did it. And, like, I, really, that kind of style is it's kind of in your face, but it's more like, you know, you have to bring the energy. You have to be able to talk over, you know, somebody who you have to be able to. You know, it wasn't just comedy, but you had to be able to talk over somebody who would be giving you trouble or trying to interrupt your story and stuff like that, you know, in such a way as to make them be quiet because they want to be quiet oh. rather than get into an argument or fight, you know. And there's a lot of ways we did that. So some things I won't say because this is radio or something like that. And I, some things I don't, you know, I don't want to, like, talk about some of the terrible things we said. To make well, some quiet. people listen with their kids in the background or in the car. So we're going to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and again, this is, you know, but whatever you heard about what the young people who are making, uh, you know, hip hop records and stuff, the horrible things that are being said. Those horrible things have always been said. It's just that they have not been said in the public media. Because if anybody knows the story of, uh, and it's a rhyme story called uh, Stagger Lee. Stagger Lee, when I was like a young man, probably 11 years old, the story was already told. And that's like 1956. And there's like horrible words in that, like definitely denigrating to women. But those things were done only in male circles. It was done like in secrecy. And now that you know that they're doing all this stuff on like, you know, public media, it's like having a certain type of ill effect. I do believe that the people who escorted it to public media 
And I'm not talking about the artists who say it, but I believe the people that escorted it to public media escorted it to public media so it would have a deleterious or a destructive effect on black society. Now, I believe that. Hi, this is Lynn Ford from Columbus, Ohio. I'm standing at the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and you are listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. You were talking before about this idea of going into a bar. Could you could you talk about oh, that? Oh, yeah. Well, me and a couple of my guys, we would actually go into a, a tavern, a bar, you know, and everything like that. This is when I got old enough to go in probably about, mm, I'd say, 17, 18 years old. Well, you know, the drinking law at that time was 21. So but 18, you know, we'd pencil up our mustaches, you know, put like, uh, you know, like our mother's uh, eyebrow pencil or something on our mustache, and we go in. And, uh, you know, then at that time, see, poetry and the conversation, you know, back at that time were not necessarily separate, okay? It was like the conversation, the rap, all that was kind of like piled together. So you could make any kind of presentation. So we would sometimes go in the taverns and, like, unplug the jukebox. And, of course, everybody wants to throw us out. We say, hey, just a minute. Here I have $5. Now, again, $5 back then was a lot of money. $5 then is probably as important about $40 now, okay? Because a song in a jukebox was a nickel, okay? And maybe by that time it was a dime, okay? But, like, okay, so you got $5, right? Okay? And $5, all right, is, like, a whole bunch of dimes, right? What is that, 50 dimes? They could get 50 songs, okay, if they didn't like us. So they were waiting not to like us, right? So we'd say, okay, here's $5. Mm. Uh, uh, okay, oh, just here's $5. I'm going to lay it right here on the jukebox. And if you don't like what we say, hey, you can just come and get the juke, get the $5, and you can just put it in the jukebox and play, and we're gone. But if you like what we're saying, here's what we'd like you to do. I'd like you to just like, drop a dollar on top of that 5 a drop a quarter on top of that five because it didn't have to, you know, that's still money, right? So we get up and start talking and everything like that. And after a while, sometimes they liked us. We did better than we did bad. Sometimes we lost the five. Well, we lost the five several times. But more times than not, we probably made, oh, about eh, 20 or so dollars a split between us, you know. So you go to that tavern, then you go to the next tavern, you know, down the block, and you do the same thing. Some we knew never to come back because people got hostile. But again, some of those that would be, they began to um, expect us. And the owner of one of them said she expected us, and she would never throw us out. Okay? And what I would do when the taverns had closed at about 2 o'clock in the, in the morning... I'd stand outside the taverns and be talking then, okay? And then like, you know, hey, a dollar store, you know, and, and that was how we did it, you know. And it's like, you know, if you can't hang, there, there's no polite applause. There's no like, okay, you know, the little top, top, top. No, it's like, hey, that was cool, or shut up and get out of my face. It was just like that, you know. So that that's how you had to do it. It was really, uh, I still do that every now and then, you know. I get good with the boys, and, you know, we, we hang around. But I'm an old guy now, see, so I have a certain amount of respect around the places where I go because they kind of know me. But I see some young guys coming along, you know, and everything. And I feel like, say, hey, shorty, come here. Let me tell you something now. That's all right. But now I remember guys talking to me just like that. And now I'm the old dude, right? And it's like it's like fun. But 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 in certain circles, it's still going on. You know, it's still going on. And young people, they surprise me. You know, when I hear them throw back at me or throw back at some of us who are like their, their impromptu audience, some of the stuff that, we know where they got it from because we know the street talker who told that one. And then, so it's come back around and stuff. And I said, why? Is you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you better say the old man told you that, you know. So, yeah. So that's how we did it. Yeah. And it's it's raucous. Sometimes it was like, you know, people wanted to fight and stuff like that, you know, because like hey, turn off the jukebox when people are partying. 
Oh, man. Yeah, but that's what we did, man. And one of my buddies, uh, I still work with him periodically, who did it way back then, and he was, like, younger than me. So he was, like, really in his early teens and still able to hang in that fire, you know. And now he's, like, he's really, really just uh, probably the most excellent street talker that, uh, you know, that ever lived. I think he's better than me. So let's say somebody says they want to try this. Mm-hmm. So what are some five basic tips you want to... I mean, you've already kind of said a couple of things. You said, first of all... You know, I, I don't know if you actually did. Wait, let me think of this. You said, you said some basic things. You said, one, you're you're really going for it. You're putting all into it. Uh, two, um, you're putting something down to get their attention, whether it's your respect or the money. Mm-hmm. Something's down. Uh, and three, you accept the answer they give you. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that. You you have to do that. And one, I don't know if there's five or whatever like that, but one of the things is you have to bring it so they feel two things. First of all, that they're part of the story, that they're involved in the situation, and you got to bring a certain type of challenge. You know, that's the important part that people don't know. You have to bring the challenge. Okay. In other words, it's like you have to say it without saying it, that I'm challenging you to listen to this and not like it. I'm challenging you not to laugh at this, okay? And then if you see anybody move, oh, you liking this, ain't you? Yeah, yeah, I know you're liking that, you know. See, like that. So, no, 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 I've seen you already. No, you can't. You know, you, now, how you going to sit there and laugh and, and then going to try to come and get the money? Huh? No, no, it ain't working like that. Mm-mm. No, because I saw you. You ain't eligible no more tonight. Well, you know, like stuff like that, you know. So you got to be able to, like, really be kind of like, uh, what, bold, really kind of like, uh, you know, at risk, you know, but you know, life ain't at risk. But I mean, you you could lose if you can't hang. You you the first couple of times you you know if you come out there to do that, and uh, a couple of times and you can't hang, then you don't even come back no more. So the only ones who are doing that, and of course I, nobody's really doing it like that anymore. Uh, that was this was more or less in the um in the like old early oh no no probably. Yeah, yeah, probably early 60s to maybe like mm, early 70s or something like that. Maybe, well, no, early 60s to like mid 70s, maybe late 70s or something like that. That it was really kind of a little more um, that a lot of people did. Then only a few people would be doing it now, you know. Yeah, and it w- we would go to place from place to place. You know, it sounds almost a little bit like pre-comedy. Well, you have to have all of it. So you have to be able to, number one, see, I always say that storytelling is comedy with a plot. (laughs) Yeah, storytelling is comedy with a plot, okay? Or storytelling is acting, and you play all the parts, okay? So anyway, that's what I say storytelling is. And then the street storytelling is the most important thing in this process is not the audience, and it's not the performer. The most important thing in this process is unifying the artist and the performer in such a way that they can't break away from you. You know. And if you ever reach that little man, oh, I got, oh, I'm gonna be making some money tonight. Yeah, they gonna like this. You know. See. So you know that that's that's really the the what do we say? That's really the the technique that we struggle to reach. You know, and if you if you've seen storytellers, particularly, you know, African storytellers born in America or African American uh storytellers, some of us don't even know that's the tradition we come from. But if you see as we engage the audience a certain way and almost each of us engages it differently, because you cannot engage it the way somebody else engages it because it's not actually what and who you are. If you see particularly, you know, an African-American storytelling, almost all of it is in some way in your face. Almost all of it is like, look, let me I'm a, let me tell you this. You know, there's very, I would say, there's minimal politeness in the sense of, Please sit down and be quiet while I tell you a story. Nah, come on, you know. There's, there, I, if you got to do that, get it. Better find a day job and a part time job too, and like tell stories in your spare time. You know, because <laughs> there, there's not that type of politeness. And in the street, uh, the street um, talkers, there was no politeness. 
you know, there would be people who just love to like razz you and, and you have to be able to do all that inside the story, you know. Because we say, oh man, simply not a bit. No, no, let me tell you that. No, no, no. You, 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 you too early with that. That's what the fox said next. Now sit down. I'm gonna tell you what you just what you said. That's what the fox said. Now, so then what happened was this here. So the man, as he was walking through the woods, he came up on the fox. Say that again. Now you, you say that what you just said. I told you that's what the fox. Say what you just said. Okay. Say what you. No, you forgot what you said. Well, then shut up. Okay, now let me tell you what the fox said then, you know. Okay, so now he's intimidated. Like, if I speak up, you're going to say, come and say what I said at this time in the story. So, I mean, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, you know. You got it. It's like almost a battlefield. But it's cool, you know. It's fun. It's real fun. So this experience of street storytelling, mm-hmm. it trained you in terms of working with troubled youth, in terms of working with teenagers. Yeah, yeah because I was a troubled youth. I wouldn't listen to anything anybody said. I remembered in school that whenever they were going to have a program, the teacher would announce we're going to have a program. And you, pointing at me, to the office. They wouldn't even let me in the auditorium to see the program. Because I was like the one who had my little corner people were laughing and cracking up so bad, they wouldn't even pay any attention to the guy on the stage, you know. Because where I had, like, started talking and stuff, that's how we did it in the street. You know, so I, we just razz them right there. So, so what I'm even if I go to a school or something like that, and a group of kids are doing that, and the teachers, I no, 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 go on, I'll handle this. No, let me handle it. So I deal with them just like I deal with the people. Y'all come up here, come up. We're gonna make you a part of the story now. Okay. Now you tell what happens next. I tell tell it. Now why are you quiet, man? Oh man, come on, come on. Okay, well stay up here. When you get when you remember it, then tell me. So then like okay, I got them up there. It's cool. I can finish. You know. But the other thing about it, see, <clears throat> one other thing about street talking, okay, and telling stories, uh, you know, troubled youth, okay, is that particularly as a street talker and a uh, person in, you know, dealing with young people, it's the same principle. The m- most important thing of the, I don't know, five, six, whatever, but the most important thing to let everyone know. Is that you really, really glad that they're there with you and that you love them. You see, you have to communicate that if you when you're street talking, you know, when you're street talking, you got you have to be able to let them know that, you know, and you don't let them know that by saying I love you. You let them know that by how you engage the energy between them. And it's the same thing with youth, uh, you know, troubled or otherwise. But oftentimes we think of like troubled youth as being the ones that that we are somehow angry at, you know, because the society has set it up with their, you know, the people who control it in such a way that we have become angry at young people. Look at the way they're wearing their pants. Now, look at all those tattoos. Oh, my God. Listen to that music. What is that? And so society has set up, rather than understanding that that's exactly what we did when we were young and we irritated our parents the same way, society has set it up in such a way that we are mad at our children. And the thing about anger is this. You cannot have compassion for someone you're mad with. Okay? And I'm not talking about parents acting like they're mad to chastise their children. I'm not talking about that kind of anger. I'm talking about the anger that is wrapped in a certain type of disdain or disgust, you know. And so our children are projected to us like that, particularly those who don't look and talk like Barack Obama. Okay. So as a result of that type of like anger and disgust, we don't care what happens to them. Because of the images projected to us, we're reacting to our young people with, you know, like anger, disgust and disdain, junk like that. And because of that, we have no compassion for them. Okay, because you cannot have compassion for those that you have anger and disgust for. So as a result of them generating that type of image that we don't have compassion for our youth, now they can take our youth and make a whole industry of jail full of meth heads, right, ballers, crackheads, etc. So there's thousands of them in there, okay, who the only thing they did that was like illegal, I'm not even saying wrong, because certainly smoking marijuana is no wronger 
than drinking alcohol morally okay but it's illegal okay so as a result we've got like a whole industry that's being fed by our youth okay and look at them look at how they dress look at you know, all that all that junk like that see so so the thing is as a street talker you had to be able to let everybody that you're engaged with know that you love them then because if you bring on anything other than that they're going to respond to you with less than like openness and when they respond with less than openness then there's no way to gain them to get them to listen you know and so that's really the key to uh street talking you know hey i ain't never met nobody i didn't love now nah, there's a whole bunch of people i didn't like but i did love them there's a bunch of people that i hated but i still loved them you know what i'm saying i mean i don't care who it is you know i always say this i hate george bush that has nothing to do with his presidency. It has to do with what he did when he was governor in Texas that affected some friends of mine. And he totally turned a cold shoulder as governor to even entertaining the idea of a conversation which would have clarified things, et cetera, et cetera. And he was the governor was the only one that could fix the situation. I'm not getting into the details of it. But the point being is this. As much dislike, disdain, hate, et cetera, I have for George W. Bush. If I saw him on the side of the road with a flat tire having trouble fixing it, I would help him fix his tire. If he was hungry, which he'd probably never be the billionaire, but if he was hungry and I had a sandwich, I'd give him half of it. Why? Because I got love for everything, you know. And that's like, a, you know, a dog is hungry. He, he, I'll give him half the sandwich because that's where I am as a human. I am as a person. I am as an African. I am as an African-American because that's basically how we people who are called black see the world. OK, so the thing about it, I'm saying is this, that that's why I believe there's so much more of that in the African or African-American artistic expression than there is in other cultures because the bottom line of, of our whole african worldview is you gotta love like everything not just everybody but everything because everything was touched and made by the same thing that made you so you're working with the kids yeah one of the things that other, other guests have talked about is this idea of of being real with teenagers and what I hear you talking about with, with teenagers with anyone you're telling stories to is that you're showing them respect you're showing them you show them that you care about them and, and what they think well the thing about it is like I think it's even more than a question of respect I think it's like showing them love you know and, I, and, and I'm not talking about that corny kind of I love you blah 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 but to say look man look you whoever you are okay I don't know what you went through to get here today and however you acting is a product of what you went through or how you have interacted with other people. See, see, if I run into a kid and I've run into kids, you know, that that wanted to fight me physically. Right. OK. Well, I, you don't. He doesn't know anything about me. It's not me. He wants to fight. He wants to fight because whatever situation he and I or she and I, whatever situation we are in is a product of where he or she came from to get to that situation and where I came from to get to the situation. OK, because we don't even know each other that long enough to be that mad at each other. Right. OK, so that I got to recognize that. Right. And I got to recognize that when I'm dealing with young people, particularly troubled youth, they aren't mad at me. They're mad at what I represent. And what I represent is somebody who is trying to tell them what to do. Right. And the people who try to tell them what to do on their experience of being told what to do have generally been authoritative, judgmental. Right. And not only that, showing them disdain and disgust and, and not having an example I mean, saying one thing and doing something else is a yeah, consistent. Well, yeah, well, mainly that, right? You know, and, and then again, that's why young people always look for what you're doing, you know, because like they look, they are more per perceptive than we think. They know if you love them or if you don't. I mean, we know that as adults. We but we kind of cover it up with, you know, uh, displays of, you know, modesty or politeness, etc. But when you're young, you don't 
played at like that, particularly adolescents, because adolescents are by definition supposed to rebel against everything before them. People say, oh, this child is so nice and polite. I say, well, there's something wrong with that child. You got to let them break free because they're supposed to be rebelling against everything that grown-ups are doing. Everything that grown-ups are doing is supposed to be foul to a teenager. In going into a, a school setting, mm-hmm. you, you go in and work with kids in prison, right? Oh, yeah, sure, certainly, to uh, you know detention centers where there's young people and everything like that. So, so set the stage here. Mm-hmm. You're going to a detention center, mm-hmm. and you know the, um, the officer gets up, gives the kids a speech. Mm-hmm. I hate that principal speech they give. I have nothing yeah. against principals who give the speech if you're listening, but mm-hmm. I don't really like the speech. But the, mm-hmm. the principal gets up and says, the last speaker who came in here, you were so rude to them. Right. And if you're rude this time, right. you're not going to get any ice cream right. for two months or you're right. going to get no recess tomorrow and you better be real. Right. Right. And yeah. the message the kids are getting is, this is not going to be fun. Right. So what do you do in that situation? Well, okay, let me tell you a, a, a situation that actually happened. I went into a middle school, and the children were really rowdy. Okay, they were in the auditorium. Okay, and it's got to be over a 1,000 kids. This is a big school. And uh, I come in. I've got my drum. I've got all the stuff I do the storytelling with. And the kids are really, really rowdy. And the principal's at the microphone screaming. We're going to have a story, just like you said. The last one, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, you know. And uh, one of the teachers, when I came, well, I don't know if if they're going to listen to the story, but good luck, you know, and stuff like that, right? So the principal's out there screaming, you know, okay, you're going to all go back to the classroom, et cetera, like, because I like it. And I like it. And they were still, like, you know, they, they, they shouldn't have to sit still that long because that's the age they are. Defiance is in their just whole genetic and and you know natural makeup. That's the age to defy. So at any rate, what happened is I walked out to the microphone where the principal was there, and when I stepped out, they were just like laughing. Oh, who's the old man with the beard? Hey, ah, scream out! Oh, look at him! What are you? You got some ice cream? Ice cream, man, etc. So I went to the principal. And I said, "Excuse me, uh, can I talk to you a minute?" They have to learn to be quiet. I said, I know they have to learn to be quiet, but can I look? Here's what I want to do. I want to do it like this. And I'm just talking to him off the mic. I said, give me 30 seconds. If you can give me 30 seconds and they're not quiet, okay, then I'll just back up and say, we're not going to do a program today and let you dismiss them and send them back to class. Okay, but just give me 30 seconds. He's like, oh, you know, so he walks off, you know, and they're they're really screaming, right? So all I did was I walked up very, very close to the mic. And I said, said, see, I'm a gray beard, papa, full grown hip hopper. You don't hear me boasting and bragging about the stuff that I do. Cause while you kick it in front of unwrapper, see, I done it. See, you got to read about it in a book to be aware. But I was there where right in the struggle and we fought for freedom and only freedom. We never fought for glory. I tell you what, young black, go back and crack the book and read the history. See, I'm talking unity and not division. Unconditional. I got a mission possible for you with your permission. Will you accept it? It's your decision. This is the assignment. You are only hope. Please don't be a chump for money or punk out on dope because sickness in society is spreading like a cancer. Your mission? Go find the answer. And like, I have. You know, so I mean, you know, but I'm saying it's like I was loving it, man. It was like a straight party from that point on, right? And when they laughed and they talked about me, but that's how old they are. They're supposed to. They're supposed to. There are certain things you cannot suppress that are part of the natural changes that people go through. You can't suppress it. You can put a cap on it until the cap blows off. But you don't stop it, you know, by trying to contain it. Okay, so I just say, I know I can't contain it. And then I told him, look, man, I'm an old man and y'all are driving me crazy with all that noise. How do you? I'm old. Look at man. I said, y'all call that stuff music? That ain't music. You know what music is? I 
said, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. They go, boo. I said, y'all don't even know what music is. What is y'all music? You know, hey, boy, I'm going to boy, ah, you know, and so they're laughing and everything. But see, that's, that's how I get along with them, right? And I said, and dancing? You call this dancing? So I started like fake crunking and stuff and they were cracking up. And I said, no, dancing is this. So I acted like I was waltzing. This is, this is dancing. That stuff you're doing, get out of here. And so it was that. I mean, and they, I said the same thing that other grown-ups tell them, right? Okay? But they weren't, like, shutting down or nothing like that. And it is from the street talker's experience. First, you got to let them know that you're really glad to be here with them and that you love them. Okay? And so once that was done, it was no, hey, hey, when I'm going, when they're finished and they say, hey, you want to come to our classroom? I said, I don't know. I'm going to ask your teacher about you. Because if you've been mecking up, come here, come here. And he came over. What? And I put a little X on his chest. And like I put a little, like, you know, like you draw uh, uh, like an X. I said, you see, I done put my mark on you. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to be watching out for you because my mark is on you. So you just remember that whenever you see I'm say, hey, boy, my mark is on you. I'm looking at you. I got that from an older guy when I was young. You know, he came up. He said, my mark is on you. I'm going to be watching you. So, I mean, I loved it. I was be watching me. You ain't know who you think you are. But I really loved it. So anyway, that's that's the approach. The approach is like and then I tell anybody who's a teacher, if you do not love every single child that you interact with, now you don't have to like them. Because everybody is not likable to everybody. Okay? But if you do not have genuine, genuine love for every one of those children, then you are totally and absolutely unfit to teach them. If you ever feel disgust, disdain, true discompassion for them, you are not fit to teach them. Okay, because they really only need one thing, and that's the thing they're not getting to know that whatever generation we are, we love them. Because no matter how bad we were, we knew that our parents' generation loved us. But lately, because of the way that these children have been projected, okay, these children have been projected, their style has been projected in such a way that they show only the bad ones. So we see everybody in that style and we judge them by what's being projected to us. Okay, that being the case, we have now become again so angry with our children that we don't have any compassion for. We don't care what happens. We ought to go to jail. We ought, ought to like that, you know, stuff like that. The design is to make a rift in society. So young people are fighting the old people. And if young people are fighting the old people, then those who are in control have nothing to fear because there's so much fighting down there on the bottom that they never have a chance to together address the problem at the top. And all the problems in this society come from the top. You know, that's worldwide. That's worldwide. People get along. OK, leaders don't. And the leaders like a good people to fight for them. The people aren't fighting for themselves. They're fighting for the leaders. I defy anybody who is a American citizen to meet a person who's an Iraqi citizen and the Iraqi person and the American person or the United States person doesn't know that they're from Iraq and the United States. And they just happen to like see each other as they're sitting there eating or see each other as they're walking down a sunny the street on a sunny day. I defy you. If you don't know where they're from, you won't hate them. Why? Because people have no trouble getting along. It's only the leadership. Okay? It's only the leadership. So therefore, well anyway, I won't get into my attitude about leadership. So I'm saying it's the same thing when we, as you know, dealing with young people, try not to bring ourselves. We try to bring our authority as a teacher, our authority as a police person, our authority as a, you know, so we're going to represent, you know, well, look here, you can't do that in school. You know, and then teachers are doing so much stuff in school they're not supposed to be doing. And we see it all the time. And the children see it. So why should they listen to a teacher say what shouldn't be done when they can smell smoke on the teacher's breath who's telling them 
you shouldn't be doing this, you know. So, I mean, that's just how it is, see, you know. And, and again, um, we have to communicate to them that, look, look, for I don't, I don't care what you are, where you're from. The reason I'm teaching you is because I love you, okay. And I want whatever's inside you to reach its full flower. Whatever's inside you, not, not, not what's in the book. You know, not what's from the structure, but whatever's inside you to reach its full flower. If you can really see that at every child, that's why I don't have any trouble with any child. I don't care if they're two years old. My objective is to like what I want to see what's in you flower. Because that's really what the word educate means. E means from within or out of. Like et pluribus unum, out of pluribus many unum comes one. So educate eh from out of, not from a little like when I was getting my education degree. <clears throat> I was told something on the order of they were pouring from the big pitcher of knowledge in the little empty cups. But that's the absolute opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed supposed to be taking what's inside of them. Duch, it's Latin, duch. It means t to flow or guide the flow. Air duct, that's where the air flows. Okay, aqueduct, that's where the water flows. Ed, to, and eight means to cause it, right? Elevator causes the rise. The elevator is a thing that causes the rise. So eight means to cause. A-T-O-R means the one that causes it, right? So if we put A-T-O-R on the end of educe or to flow from within, we are the one who causes the flow from the within or supposed to guide the flow from within. And it's supposed to be from within. So we can take every child and say, look, whatever is in you, that's what I want to flower. Okay? And I want to see what I can do to make that flower. Then where's the problem with children? Okay, only when they don't conform, that's when we have problems because we think they should conform. And by definition, by nature, they should absolutely be totally rebellious of whatever came before them. Okay, because that's how changes have come in every society. It's been the youth that have taken on the society to force the change. Not us old people. And we need to get over it and understand <laughs> we really ain't that important. <laughs> so that's a street that's a street talker. See the street talkers uh uh that's just you know, that's what you bring, you know. And it's spontaneous and you don't know where it's gonna go and you may be like, you know, lose some money, gain a little money, you know. Um, um, you can charge them when you get good. Couple guys, you know, I've charged them. Hey, I ain't look before I tell you, no, no, everybody got to put a dollar in the pot before hey, I'm not going to talk until you throw a dollar in there, you know? And I said, what? I got $9. And I mean, I'm going to tell you a $9 story. You know, you ain't going to get no hundred dollar story for $9. Well, okay. I like y'all. I'm going to give y'all a, a $50 story for this. Just cause y'all just gave me $9, you know? Okay. Here's a $50 story. And I tell the story I was going to tell anyway, you know, so, but you know, that's how you do it, man, you know, and then people, people really, you know, I mean, a lot of people like, like street talkers, like, um, I, I would put a dollar in the pot just to hear what, just to hear what they got to say. And there are some guys who can talk, man. Oh, there's some guys like, like that, I, that I kind of get every now and then hang with. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, man, these guys can talk, man. I, I, I'm one of the people who've been doing it, um, I guess, a little bit everywhere. So I got a little more, you know, I, I, I have a little more, I'm in a little more practice than some of them, right? They don't get the opportunity because some of them are working other jobs, et cetera. So it is about all I do, right? Other than like my artwork, right? Uh, but there's some guys, man, when as soon as they open their mouth, they have everybody's full attention. Okay, and that was how my father was, and my father is who I really learned my my story style from. Okay, and he also, when he got to Milwaukee, he wouldn't call himself a street talker, but what he was actually was a street talker. He rode the bus on every bus stop. He, if you go by and see him on the bus stop, everybody's listening while he's talking, and he's telling something. You know, I mean, you know, in, in a church, uh, a social in the basement. 
I went in to find my father. He's sitting there, and everybody's kind of like in a circle listening to him talking. I don't even know what he was talking about, but that's the kind of thing he did, see. So uh, I kind of like, you know, that's the style that I, I took from my father. This is Bobby Norfolk, and you are listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Well, I'm afraid we're just about out of time, oh, okay. so what's your offer? My offer is this. Look, anybody who wants to conversate with me, and I say conversate rather than have a conversation, because if you can have a conversation, you can also conversate, you know. We're going to verbify the noun conversation to make conversate, okay, to cause us to converse, okay, that converse with words eight. We're going to cause the with word thing. So anybody wants to conversate, here's my offer to you. Uh, I have a post office box, all right, and I have a phone number, okay. If you want to call and conversate with me, you can even call my phone number, okay? Now, if you talk crazy, I'm going to hang up, okay? If you flood the line with stupidity, et cetera, et cetera, it better be something good, okay? Better, We're talking about street talk here. Yeah, it better be. If it ain't good, you can forget it, all right? It better be something good. Anybody who would like for me to come and do a presentation, any schools, uh, uh, prisons, uh, uh, any place, you know, I go everywhere, you know, you know, uh, detention centers for youth, uh, uh, specialty schools for troubled youth or whatever like that. You can give me a call. Okay, that number is area code four one four. The number is three four four six six. Five, six. You can call me, okay? And uh, if you got something good to say, say it. If you talk foolish and everything like that, now hold on. You can even say unavailable. I don't answer unavailable. You can put down call not available, you know, unknown or whatever. You will, I, you never talk to me, okay? So um, what about you're in the eastern time zone? I'm in the central. Central time zone in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think that's GMT 7 or 6. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are overseas mm-hmm. and they want to contact you, mm-hmm. they can call as long as it's Look, during hours. You can call, but if I don't answer, you better leave a good message and better leave a good reason for me to get back to you. Don't just say, well, this is John, my number, so-and-so, so-and-so. Yeah, so what? I get a million of them all the time. Well, about, about 30% of my listeners are overseas. Well, that's cool. But when you call, like, please give all the numbers I'm supposed to call, Okay. Including the zero one one or whatever. Now, if you don't know that, well, find that out before you call, okay? And uh, holler at me. And then, like, sooner or later, I'm going to step into the modern age and get, like, a... Uh, email address. Email address, okay? <laughs> I even know what it's going to be, but I don't know when I'm going to get it. Don't don't say it here. So uh, what's what's your, your P.O. box? P.O. box, 1670. Zero six. Okay, that's P.O. Box one six seven zero six. It's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Five three two one six. Okay. So we've been talking a little bit about the idea of basically we've been talking about changing the idea of education, mm-hmm. and I have a blog mm-hmm. on that subject okay. called dyslexicstoryteller dot blogspot.com oh, okay. and I write all about my experience being dyslexic and if, if you are hardcore for traditional education you probably will get insulted by the blog so don't go to bother reading it but, but if you are someone who's interested in rethinking the way you think about how dyslexic and other students could be educated you might want to go read it I, another warning is it's written by it's written by me as a dyslexic person, and I've chosen to not have any of this work edited by anyone else because it is a dyslexic blog. Okay. So oh, when you go to read it, be warned that there will be typos, and and I don't see them. That's why they're there. Well, look, um, I'm not dyslexic, and if you see anything I write, it's going to have typos too. <laughs> so, do you have any last words for the international storytelling community? Well, my last words for the international storytelling community is what my mentor, the guy that really guided me to understand the importance of street talking, and that's a guy named Brother Blue. 
some of you may have heard of Brother Blue. Who appeared on an earlier episode talking about the art of street storytelling. So you can go look that up if you want to. I think it's. He's a street talker, too. He's a street talker. He is the king of street talkers. He is the man. When it comes to street talking, Brother Blue has no peer. But Brother Blue told me one time, he said, Let me tell you something. Inside of everybody, there's a story. Inside of everybody, there's a story that's deep down inside you. And we, it's not about like, you know, once upon a time or, or they lived happily ever after, you know, or in a land far, far away. It's nothing like it. It's a story that's deep down inside. There's really what you are. Okay. And, and, and sometimes it's really uncomfortable. I mean, we want to tell everybody all other things. We want to develop styles. We want to develop anything to cover up that story. But that story is down in there. And, and anyway, when you talk about telling a story, you don't tell the story. The story actually tells you. But that story down there is like waiting and crying and screaming, screaming to be told. Okay, but instead we press it down and try to like, you know, live in our discomfort. And Brother Blue said, but listen, listen, don't don't tell it. Tell it. Tell that story because you have nothing to lose but your fear. And that's the most important thing for anybody, whatever it is, tell it nothing to lose but your fear. Okay, you may have noticed my listeners that I have been remarkably quiet in this interview. And that is because Deju has been talking about things, a lot of things that I really I really feel close to my heart and dear. And I think that one of the key ideas here is that storytelling opens the doorways to the heart. Mm-hmm. And Deju's been dancing around that this it? whole interview. He's been talking about how love, love opens that door of storytelling. And storytelling opens that those deep, deep feelings deep inside and so if we are to build community if we are to build um, our ability as tellers we have to be willing to look into our own eyes mm-hmm. we have to be willing to look into our own imperfections our own fears our own hatreds our own arrogance mm-hmm. and we have to be willing to lay them aside hey, and just like or step over them okay you know, if they're too heavy, you know, just, hey, just, just drop them and step over them, okay? And then put yourself in front of all those devices and say, well, look here, all I'm going to present is the absolute and total open me. Now, you're subject to attack. You're subject to this. If that happens, you could jump back behind all those devices. But the first thing you should lead with is you without device. And then seek to, like, come in contact with that part of the person that is not the device. And if you touch that, what will happen if you touch that? Is that all of a sudden the journey not only becomes more important than the destination, the journey becomes all that there is and you hope never to reach the destination, you know. Well, Teju, it was great having you on the show. Hey, and this is Brother Wolf. And, like, if you ever get a chance to hear Brother Wolf and whatever he's doing, like, I'm an old black dude, and he's a little young white boy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Blue eyes, kind of like dark blonde hair and stuff like that. Hey, but hey I'm a redhead, man. <laughs> oh, red. Okay, well, you know, I'm old, and my eyes ain't working like they used to. Hey, but Brother Wolf is cool. And if you ever get a chance to talk to him, he's a genuine dude, man. You know what I mean? I'd even drag him down at the set so we could do a little street talking, you know. Uh, uh, you know, he, he'll he'll have to go through fire and, like, learn the hard technique. But he'll probably come out all right because he kind of, like, comes on kind of like he's a direct straight-up dude, okay? <laughs> Thanks again, man. <laughs> Be cool, everybody. All right. This guest has written a post for the blog that can be read at www.artofstorytellingshow.com. This post includes a bio and a link to the guest's website, plus other additional information about our discussion. If you want to respond to this show, you can find this post and share your thoughts through the comment system in the blog comment box. If you wish to join a future show as an audience member, go to www.artofstorytellingshow.com alerts and sign up to the email alert system. You can buy CDs of shows and preloaded iPods on the website. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This show is produced and hosted by me, Brother Wolf, and I am responsible for its content. It is released under a Creative Commons non-derivative and non-commercial license. That means you can copy it and you can give it away, but you can't splice it up or sell it. 
High-definition versions of this show are considered copyrighted, all rights reserved. or so they were in the basement and I walked in and I said how y'all doing I said okay okay how you doing Uncle Teju I said I'm doing all right I said what y'all been doing they said oh we just down there like that well what you been doing I said ah just chilling now back at that time back maybe I should get that hey okay hold on it might be important I doubt it but you never know (laughs) hello I think the sound's really good until the airplanes go over. Well, you know, we should be on the streets with cars going. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. where we should be. That's where we really okay. should have done this, you know. <laughs> in 